So as I say, this was the um, lectionary psalm for today, and um, uh, as I read through, I I use a a website that kind of helps you for your first unpacking of um, some of this stuff, and I I raced through all the lectionary readings, and uh, I, I came to these words of commentary on this particular psalm. In our world, praise has been difficult recently. News from our country and across the world is filled with religious wars, murder, slaughter of innocents, and massive refugee migrations. It is hard to praise God with my whole self. Yet in most of the history of ancient Israel, their situation was similar. Here is the first lesson of this psalm. Praise of God is sometimes an act of discipline. Under the circumstances of war and destruction, Praise is not the result of external happiness, but stubborn belief in the face of the evidence to the contrary. Indeed, praise is defiance of worldly powers. It shouts that despite the situation around us, God is still worthy of praise. The ancients knew that lifelong praise can change the world by transforming and empowering individuals. Crying to God is an important cathartic, but praise can change our outlook. Praise provides power when we feel powerless. It's not easy to work out what to preach on Remembrance Sunday, but when I read that, I thought, go to look at this Psalm 146. In a morning that we remember the 113. And those beautiful poppies draped around our memorial that Gillian and Daphne have done. The 113 from Fitzroy, Crescent, Donegal Pass, who died in the mud, stained with blood and the stench of death around them. This week in the news, did you see that bullet-holed prayer book of someone who was shot dead through the prayer book in his breast pocket? Faith and war side by side. And yet Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Psalm 146, Hallelujah, my soul, praise God. All my life long, I'll praise God. Singing songs to my God as long as I live. At the end of a Fitzroy service, just as you don't get um, uh, warned about this as early as this in the service normally, we would have a shout of hallelujah. It comes from Jack. When I came here to Fitzroy uh, nine years ago today, the week before somebody said, and there's a guy under the balcony that shouts hallelujah. As if I would be disturbed by that. And um, Jack has left us a a little time, but we still sing or we still shout the hallelujah. And yet in mornings, maybe such as this, I might leave the hallelujah out. But after reading Psalm 146, I've become convinced that maybe it's in our saddest moments, in our most trying moments, in the midst of war and struggle, that the hallelujah is most important. Now, I've done this before, and I regret it, but I'll do it again, and I promise it's not going to be all the time. Let me quote Christa Berg. (laughs) Not from the Lady in Red, you will be glad to know. But John, actually, before the Lady in Red, there were a few good songs. You will admit it yourself. No, he won't. Um, There is is a song in one of his earlier albums, uh, long before the Lady in Red, um, where he sang, from the first song that's ever been sung to the last sound of men on this earth, the question is always the same Where are we going? Songs are those things that 
humanity has used since the beginning. I think it's about four chapters in before we get our first musicians in the Bible. It's an early deal in creation. The power of song. The power of song. The power of the psalm. It's why I go on about it so much. It's why we have the gospel according to us. It's why we use songs in our worship because I'm convinced that the songs we're listening to in our headphones or wherever we're listening to them can either empower us or blunt us for the use of our humanity. Songs can empower the individuals that then can be transformative in the world. And the ancient Israelites, the people of God, knew the power of song. The slaves 200 years ago in the southern states of America knew the power of song. It was one of those forces of energy within them. Praising God on a Sunday morning was the thing that got them through the rest of the week. Not as a kind of a, an anodyne, kind of uh, something just to take away the pain, but something that changed them in their core. Because when you sing these songs, you change things in the universe. You change things in your own space in the universe. Civil rights movement used these powerful songs. Many of them the spirituals that had been written in the plantations. And even as recently as 2013-14, Bruce Springsteen singing the same songs. The same songs in defiance and in search of belief. Because songs put God in, their, in his place, which then puts us in our place. At least that's what the Psalms do. Psalm 146. In Psalm 146, we have kind of three images, I think, of who God is as we sing this song, as we sing it on our Remembrance Day, or as we sing it when our congregation or a family in our congregation that ripples out to all the rest of us is, is suffering. We find out that he is the maker of heaven and earth. The sea and everything in it, he remains faithful forever. Two things right there in verse 6. God is creator and God is sustainer. There was one night back earlier in the year, maybe at the end of last year, where Neville did an amazing, uh, one of his those amazing talks where he speaks for 40 minutes and I understood three minutes of it, but those three minutes were well worth understanding. But that night he emphasized the sustaining power of God. We're very quick about God as creator. But that night, scientifically, Neville reminded us that he's not only creator, but sustainer. He remains faithful to his creation, faithful to his people, faithful to who he is himself. He is creator. He is sustainer. And if we go further on, in Psalm 146 that Louise read, he always does what he says. He defends the wronged. He feeds the hungry. God frees prisoners. He gives sight to the blind. He lifts up the fallen. God loves good people, protects strangers, takes the side of orphans and widows, but makes short work of the wicked. That's Eugene's paraphrase of those verses. God is creator. God is sustainer. And God is redeemer and bringer of justice. And that, in the person and identity of God, gives us hope no matter what the external things going on around us are. Not as a cheap 
panacea or some kind of, as I say, anodin or whatever your version of that is, but something that changes us to the very core. When we put God in our place, and that's what I believe we do on a Sunday morning, we get through the week and there's all kinds of things taking us and pulling us apart and pushing us and causing us to be demanding this and that and winds blow out of nowhere all the time and knock us off our feet. And we find ourselves in these situations and just for about an hour, well, you wish it was an hour, but just for about an hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, we can come together and resync the world. We put God in his place and we worship and praise him. And he becomes Lord again in our minds and our hearts and our souls. And we then find our place underneath that lordship. Our humanity. What we were created for. What our vocation as humans is. Our vocation as humans is our whatever. And that changes hearts and souls and minds. You see, if you'd have been in some slave plantation. And this guy down the end of the cotton field is Lord. And he's punching you and bullying you and raping you and kicking your children. It's good to come and worship God. Because you suddenly see the resync of how it really is. Which is God is Lord, not this guy. And therefore I'm not kicked around like this guy's kicking me around. I'm precious. Because God is creator and he's faithful and he's redeemer of the oppressed and he is a bringer of justice. So that's not some hope for the by and by. That changes our mindset, our heart set, our soul set right here and now. And then sends us out to be able to deal with those difficult issues. So singing psalms in time of war or remembrance of war or in times of struggle or pain or hurt or anxiety or worry or whatever it is that's burdening us at this moment in time, we need the singing of psalms and worship and coming to worship to be a discipline. As was his habit, Jesus went to the synagogue. We sing psalms as the people of God did in a disciplined way. And I can't help but think, I didn't understand that you would walk in with, I know you weren't full on, full on there, but the sense of discipline, the sense of discipline, look at how well Brent looks. Um, that there's, a, there's an image in front of us of this sense of discipline. And in our relationship with God, we need the discipline to worship no matter what. I'm sure there'll be moments when these guys will not feel like getting out of their bed in the morning to do whatever they have to do. But the discipline will cause them to do it. Not because of the external circumstances around them, but because of the inner discipline resistance to something that might distract or whatever else. And the realignment as to who we are. When I was at Regent College in my last sabbatical in 2005, I loved going to hear Daryl uh, Johnson uh, doing his preaching classes. And um, he did one on uh, the Beatitudes. And he was trying to be cool. He was trying to be cool. And it was 2005. And even then it was a bit old. But there was a band that were a bit of a that's, a take that band, a that's it band. You see how much I love take that. But anyway, um, take that or Westlife. There was a band back in the States called NSYNC. 
Um, and uh, so he thought he would be really cool and use in sync to kind of do the Beatitudes again. In sync are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In sync are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In sync are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In sync are those who, are hung- who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In sync are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In sync are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In sync are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In sync are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In sync are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And he meant by the in sync that blessedness is when we're in sync with God and who God is, because then we're in sync with who we are under God's lordship, and therefore we're in the closest place we can be to the fullness of our humanity. I had no intention of saying it, but you got to say it. 10, 10 humanity is when we're in sync with who God is, we're in sync with who we are under his lordship, and when we have that in our heart and souls and minds, it's not easy to get through what we need to get through in the struggles of our humanity. But it gives us some hopeful core of resistance against those things that would shake us and our faith. And so this morning we've been singing worship songs about God's faithfulness when we remember 113 of our own community who didn't come back from World War I, and that's only World War I. We've been singing about his faithfulness when we're going through the deep hurt of the news that the Hart family got this week. Because we're coming here to say that there is something in the universe that we're understanding as people who see with faith that we have belief and hope in an alternative imagining. And that alternative imagining is in the songs and the psalms we read and sing. He is Lord. We are his humanity. And where we're in sync with him as creator, sustainer, redeemer, and justice bringer, then we will have the mindset, the heart set, and the soul set to be able to get through whatever it is the external pressures of this world have. I want to close by leading us towards communion. About 18 months ago, something happened here. It could be that I was, I remember, I was about nine or eight or nine or ten when George Best was in This Is Your Life, but I remember it as clear as a bell because it was George Best, for goodness sake. I know he played for the Reds, but I, and we'll not get into that because I could be here all afternoon talking about that. And, um, but uh, but he, when he was on This Is Your Life, Eamon Andrews, ha, do you remember? No, the under-50s don't. Um, um, Eamon Andrews said, your brain works so fast that the defenders can't deal with what you do with your feet. And it's your brain that works fast. And I would love to think that that morning it was my brain working fast, but I I actually don't think it was. I believe that that morning, and I don't say this very often at all, but I believe that that morning God gave me this moment here to do something that that morning I know meant something to some of you. I was using a story from uh, Tales of the Unexpected that I've never seen. But I'd, I've never seen a whole program. 
But the night before, by mistake, as I was finishing off my preparation, I saw 10 minutes. And as about this guy who was, there was a serial killer on the loose and this guy was pretending to be the serial killer and therefore he could act tough and be a bully. And he had a gun. And so he said in this program, I want to get it just exactly dead right what he saw, but I've shuffled all my papers now so the chances of that happening are very slim. He said this, he said, you know who you are with a gun in your hand. You're a somebody. You know who you are with a gun in your hand. You're a somebody. Because a gun changes the external around you because you're a somebody and you have a wee bit of power. Changes your mindset, your heart set and your soul set when you have a gun with you. That's what he was saying. So for some reason that morning I walked across here and I picked up a wee piece of this bread. And I brought it back across and I just changed the words. You know you're a somebody with a piece of bread in your hand. You know who you are with a piece of bread in your hand. You are a somebody. As we come to this table in a moment or two, in the midst of remembering about wars that have been fought and wars that go on, and the injustices of the news that we will hear this afternoon, and the struggles and the pain within our own congregation at this moment in time, it's different because of this piece of bread. It's different because we come around this table and we come to someone who on Remembrance Day we will remember having given his life for us. This changes who we are. This changes who God is, who we are underneath God, where we are as his heirs and co-heirs. I don't call you servants, you're my brothers and sisters. This changes who we are. Because we hold this bread and we will drink this wine, then we are a somebody. And that that might just be the hope and the belief that gives us the resistance to whatever it is the world tries to throw. Put God in his place. Find ourselves in our place under that God and the world can be a little bit more in sync inside of us to give us the courage to change the world outside. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the discipline of the people of God to gather together to worship, to sing songs of praise even when they would have thought that wasn't the right thing to do, but to discipline themselves to sing them because in putting you back in your place in our worship, we find ourselves in our places under your lordship and that that can change our mindset, our heart set and our soul set to be in sync with who we're meant to be as human beings. As we gather around this table, as we sing these last two songs, may that happen by your spirit within us. May we know that when we hold this bread, everything's different because that makes us somebody. When we drink this wine, that everything's different because that makes us somebody. That you're Lord and everything is different because of that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.